Welcome to the Parenting Cipher, where each episode will give you the tools and resources to help your child thrive in school and in life. Please rate and review this podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback. And also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. So hello, hello. Today we have Cabrina Williams, who is from Scratch Made Consulting, and she is a special needs parent coach, board certified behavior analyst, and founder of Scratch Made Consulting. For over 10 years, Cabrina has worked in various clinical settings with clients who have autism, brain injury, mental disorders, and other developmental and cognitive disabilities. After overcoming being burnt out herself, mm-hmm, I feel you. She felt compelled to switch focus to a very niche group of individuals who are in need of her services, special needs parents. That's us, y'all. She has worked tirelessly serving the community of special needs and believes that the topic of caregiver self-care needs not only be addressed, but readily available to the parents with children of exceptional needs. And she has paired her expertise in behavior analysis with self-care to help teach overwhelmed special needs parents to utilize evidence-based self-care practices so that showing us how showing up doesn't feel so weighty and out of reach. Welcome to the Parenting Cypher. Thank you for having me. I am so looking forward to it. And when I meet someone that's excited about my services, it makes me excited all over again like it's the first time. (laughs) I have four, four kids who are exceptional. And while I was just like so excited to talk to you is I remember when I first started my journey and I read a parenting book and I believe like two paragraphs in, they said, do not feel guilty for Mm self-care and it is a necessary. And I shut the book just like that. (laughs) I shut the book. I was going to rebuke you. No, Mm. I can't do it. It is all about the kids. And that Mm. was years ago. And now I am really, not even just now, but that that last 10 years, I have really begun to understand that statement of self-care is pivotal. So when I saw what you did, I was like, (laughs) oh my goodness. (laughs) Right? Like where, who else does this? (laughs) Right. But this for special needs parents, because we, our kids are special we're special. So with that being said, because (laughs) I just told you, like, I was like, no, rebuke it. What self-care assumptions have you had to debunk with special needs parents? There's so many. And I feel like collectively, they're all the same. They're very constant. I think the big ones that I feel like you guys experience through and through are feeling like you can do something without the message on your forehead, feeling like you're guilty of that. You know, that's the biggest one that I get. And then because you guys have so much on your plate, one of the other things is like, how do I fit in time? And then what is self-care? Because a lot of them come to me with these kind of just misconstrued messages where they've heard it another way and they think that's the only way. And so by the time they come to me, they find the word in itself, self-care aversive, and they want no parts of it because they've just already had so many people tell them what it is. And it's like, if I can't do it that way, then there is no way that will be able to work for me. So there's just a lot of peeling back layers and squashing those limiting beliefs that they're mutually exclusive, that you can't be a special needs parent and practice self-care. And what I find is once they see 
And I think that I get a little buy-in a little bit more quicker with parents because I've worked so closely in the traditional setting with them. They already know that I have experience in the special needs community for over 10 years. I started quite young in the field, but when I became a behavior analyst, it was just kind of this thing that I've kept thinking like all these years I've been in the field and you guys still have the same pain points. Who is helping you guys out? Are you just like saying this constant, you know, gripe every day and no one is helping you. And I just felt like it was just a total slap in my face that of all the services that we render for families, none of them really focus on the special needs parent. And this science that I'm trained in can be utilized on special needs parents. And my audience is mainly moms, but I definitely have had some dads tell me the same things. (laughs) So the big ones I definitely would say is just the messaging of the self-care in itself. What is that? How does that look like for me feeling guilty and the time constraint that they feel like it takes, which is also kind of like peeling back those myths about self-care that it has to last X amount of minutes or hours in order for it to count. (laughs) You know, otherwise it's not that it's so complex. (laughs) It really is. I had to learn that self-care, I always say that sometimes with self-care, we look at the media and the media tells us what self-care is. Self-care is going to the spa. Self-care is going to get your hair done. Self-care is sitting, getting a massage. And that is such a big idea of what self-care is. And then for me, I've learned it's the smaller pieces that lead to your peace of mind. We tend to go all out. So it's like you said, it's like if we can't do the big things and we don't pay attention to small things, but the small activities of self-care is what's going to help sustain us overall. I couldn't agree more with you. I think for me, there's so many families that face kind of the same amount of stress. It's probably different seasons and levels of it. The intensity varies, (laughs) but I do see a lot of families just question like, what does it look like for me? How can you figure that out with everything that I have got going on? And I approach it just like I do when I'm working with a client, like a specific ASD client. You know, I go in there, I interview, I observe, you know, and I pinpoint and then I give them replacement strategies. And it really does make a lot of sense because it's behavior and we all see behavior. And if your behavior of dismissing self-care in the form of doing it once and then quitting, or saying to yourself out loud that I'm not ever going to do this again because it just doesn't work or feeling stressed about it, then what can I go in and give you kind of these strategies to work around that, to pivot away from your go-to of shutting it off altogether and finding different smaller ways that are giving you, you know, the kind of the steps to build on your self-care muscle, I should say, so that you're doing something versus doing nothing. And I think that that is going to help them build on the idea that, okay, self-care can work for me. And I see it because these are the things you're telling me to do. I recently had my self-care coaching program close out for the year because I really wanted to kind of learn from what I've been doing in my one-to-one sessions with clients and kind of just kind of elevate and enhance it. And one of my biggest takeaways is that there's kind of this sense of them wanting some more community and wanting to have someone else on the journey with them. So I'm trying to embed that into the next stage of the coaching program. You know, self-care, it's something that's underrated, but especially when you have a special needs kids and there's like a bunch of, I like to call them moving pieces, Mm -hmm. because as soon as we think I have this piece down, it moves. (laughs) 
<laughs> it moves, it shifts. And it's hard to say, okay, I have to move this piece over here because the piece of self-care has to be pivotal. With COVID, I started telling people, I am the captain of the ship. And if the ship goes down, if I go down, this whole ship is going down. And it's that moment where I really became clearer because I was totally aware of self-care as something small, as the thing that you love to do, that you're not necessarily connected with. One thing about self-care is it's a connection of self. It's that part of like your nurturing. I like to say your original self, not the parent in you, but who you are without your kids. And, you know, when you look at self-care, most often it's the thing that we love to do before we had kids. (laughs) That's so true. (laughs) They often tell me that. And it's the thing that we slowly got away from. And I just started to do small things. But one of the things I always run into is I start off like, oh, I'm in it. I'm winning. I got it. And then do do do. Pieces start shifting. And actually, I had a coach tell me this, and he was like, People don't change. And he said, Listen, people don't change, but what changes is their awareness of their habits. And then they're able to shift. So, with that being said, for parents out here who work with you, or parents who are like, Okay, I really want to practice self care. And then we're on it. Our game is tight. Mm -hmm. And then do, 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 do. right back to where we were. What can we do to support ourselves? I think when I was talking about my program, I really didn't introduce Scratch Me. So Scratch Me Consulting really prides themselves. And you did this, I'm sorry. But like what I really like to tell people is that we solve one problem and that is finding self-care to be a part and embedded in your life so that you can show up in a major way. But one of the things that I, as a behavior analyst, have a strength in is creating goals that are 97% likely for you to meet success with. So I would never create something that wouldn't most likely result in some positive outcome, so to speak. And a lot of what I do, I focus on since I've been in the field, I've always kind of taken observational notes and mental notes about what parents tell me because we work so close together. And one of the things I always felt like they lack are just four different types of self-care, you know, social, emotional, mental, and physical. And that was just from like things that I've recorded and written down and just remembered hearing over and over just different families, the faces change, but like those complaints remain. And I had like looked over some things and I was like, wow, this is really kind of pointing to this type of self-care. So like breaking it down, like compartmentalizing it a little bit into categories so that the parents see that if I have all this, okay, I'm not feeling. And from what I have observed and have been told, you're not feeling as much burnout if you are addressing all of the different modes of self-care. And so when I have a parent that has that kind of pattern where they have done something for a while and then one thing sets them back and And then it's like, when you look up and realize what's happened, (laughs) it's been months and years. I just, I'm like, well, maybe you set a goal for yourself that was too hard, or maybe you needed to bounce in between certain activities instead of doing one. Like self-care isn't just one activity. I give parents kind of a hat to pick out of where they can, on this day, this may not take as long. And this is a self-care type that they can do for this day. Or this one takes a little bit more time and I can do this right before the kids wake up or before we go off to therapy and drop them off to ABA. So there's, I think that's sort of broad, but like that is where I come in and I figure out through interviews and behavior assessments, what is it that's pointing to that to happen over and over again? And it usually is 
one or two things, but I find that people may not enjoy the activities that they're doing, or they might not even like have really made it an intention to like try things out before they like said, this is what I'm going to do every day, knowing deep down inside that it's not going to last. <laughs> so I have this method. It's called the one method. And I have a lot of parents that tell me that I try things, they feel good. And then I lose interest and like we fizzle out or like it's been so long. I don't know what I like. And I remember you alluding to that. And the win method is basically a three-step process that really pinpoints what are the self-care activities or items that you're likely to engage with. So like I have them basically record data on themselves. And I think it is still a freebie on this on Scratchmate Consulting website, but definitely our free Facebook group, self-care is non-negotiable, is in there. Either way, within a week, you'll be able to like spot, oh wow, I didn't realize I was doing this every day and that this could turn into self-care for me. Or like, this is something I never would have thought I would have tried if it wasn't for this form. Those are the kind of responses I get after people have tried it because I do want people to try it so that I get feedback on it because I'm always open to modifying or changing things that just need some tweaking. But for the most part, it's been really positive. So that is probably where I would point a mom or dad to if they come to me and like, I tend to just tap out and give up. What do you suggest I do? Try my wound method and tell me how it goes. And I'm pretty sure it's probably like one of the weirdest forms they've ever seen, but it's pretty straightforward. It just takes consistency so that like Monday through Friday at the end of the week, just look it over and then like come back to me and give me kind of the results and see what we can shape with it, what we can actually do with it. Because there's a lot of things that may be overlapping that you didn't realize you could pull something from there. One of the weirdest results, not weirdest, but one of the most interesting (laughs) results that I've received from a parent, she had like this obsession and it was like, she put stickers on everything. And when she came back and told me that, I was like, well, maybe you need to like have a book and like put little stickers on your like whatever you want to put in them, but like create a book, whether it is for appointments or whether it's for your personal, you know, goals that you set for yourself and then add stickers to it to kind of enhance that activity. And she was like, Ooh, uh, it's been going good for her because she, <laughs> she sends me things in her um, IG story. So it's like still really paying off, but she's also like used it again and again to see what other things she could come up with because she gets bored really, really quickly for that particular their mom <laughs> I feel like I get bored too <laughs> so I hope that answered your question it did so you have two methods are it's you all the win method and it's a three-stage process the w stands for watch i is for interview and then n is try new things and the last stage people are like well I gotta get a little creative because of covid <laughs> I'm like, you sure can. You still can do it in the bounds of your home. You can, you can do this. (laughs) So it's just been very interesting. But I feel like of all the parents, special needs parents are so good about like thinking analytically and like being like a little investigator with their children. But when it comes to themselves, they're like at a loss. Like Blinders. (laughs) Blinders. Okay, so- I'm going to ask because I want to know. So it's also for people out here who don't know what a behavior analyst is. Mm -hmm. I've worked with behavior analysts with my son with ABA therapy. And what was so great about working with her was that I heard about ABA and actually I've had therapists tell me that they were using ABA and I had absolutely no idea what it was at all until I started working with her. And she really started to not only explain it to me, but she introduced me to the parenting part. So I was included in making the goals where before I wasn't included Mm -hmm. in making goals 
goals. So my son had goals and I had goals and it was an entirely different experience. So can you let the listeners know what does a behavior analyst do? We do a little bit of everything, but we are experts on behavior change. So if we are being called to work with a client, it is because obviously they have pre-approval for the services and two, there are some behaviors we need to undo or shape into, you know, more like a replacement type of skill set. So when we work with a family, and I said a little bit of this of how I work with my clients, but specifically in the traditional field, I am working with families to create behavior, what they call behavior intervention plans that comprise of any challenging behaviors. So behaviors we find maladaptive and want to reduce. And then we showcase a skill acquisition section where the behaviors that we're trying to reduce, we're replacing them with all these goals that we want to increase. So there's a lot there a lot of jargon and I hope that made it very clear but we work with parents and the goals that you just stated are caregiver training goals so I just did this with a family and a lot of them are in regards to knowing how to implement like antecedent strategies or response you know strategies how to handle challenging behavior so the family is not just viewing the RBT and observing the session, but is actually feeling competent to handle that if RBT or BCBA isn't present, what to do if this behavior comes up. And so all of it is measurable and quantifiable, but what really makes a plan really good is if there are goals that address everything that is considered a deficit into the child. So communication, toileting, adaptive skills, obviously the behavior skills, like we set goals on how to what are our goals that we will consider mastered when this behavior is reduced to a certain percentage level? So there's a lot there, but I enjoy it. And one of the ways that I really got into it more, working with families, what really makes it a pleasure to be there is when the mom or dad is like all into the plan and is like, all right, caregiver training session or parent training session. We have scheduled such and such day at three o'clock. I won't miss it. I'm not going to forget it, um, whether that's in the clinic or in the home. But that's what made me think of, and I'm going to kind of jump back to scratch me. That's what made me think that it's such an important integral piece that we forgot because we have these goals in the plan. And for a parent that already is experiencing so much stress, they're looking at that plan like, you want to meet with me three times a week for 30 minutes each, and you want to see me implement all this stuff. And what? And and so I got a lot of cancellations and I still get parents that are like, I, I'm not, I, there's so much going on. I don't feel like meeting today. And that's when I started to pay attention to kind of like, wow, like, first of all, kudos to any parent that feels like, okay, I need to honor me today. I'm taking a mental health day right now. But I also started to think like, wow, like I'm asking them to memorize and implement this part of the plan and they themselves have checked out. Why would I put on them these goals if they're not realistically going to implement it? And so when I start to question what's really going on, you know, we've had a lot of canceled training sessions with you, caregiver training sessions, and they're like, I'm burnt out. I haven't spent any time to myself. I completely neglected my needs and I just have so much going on and I'm the primary caregiver. That's what I used to hear. And so that's kind of what set me on to this kind of mode of thinking of what can we do? Because if they have, just imagine what other therapists and supervisors, OTs, SLP, just imagine what else they're asking them to do. So like when I hear that, I'm like, okay, 
Let me readjust this goal so that they're met with success. And then let's see how it goes. Because if what I am expecting them to do is too much, I am going to honor their request to pull it back and dial it back and make this goal, you know, to be met with more likely success than not. I do the same thing with Scratch Made, but like I definitely found a lot of reference from working with the families into thinking how I wanted my business to be structured with our self-care coaching program because I didn't want families to feel like there's another thing I got to do and make sure that I'm not like moving away from or drifting away from what you're trying to get me to do. So, you know, there's a lot there, but I definitely, whether I am, you know, working one-to-one with my self-care coaching clients or I'm in a home training the family on this behavior plan, I never put a goal that they're going to find like... I'm not going to be able to do this, Karita. Like, I want to make sure everyone is on board and we're, you know, it's, we're coasting. That may be a long-term goal, but I'm not going to like push you too hard. I'm taking baby steps with you. (laughs) Well, you know what? One thing I noticed is, like I said, I just met her during COVID, but before I had been working with therapists who were using ABA method. And I'm not part of the goal. When I realized why he would make progress and he would regress, it would be because I'm not part of the goal. Like I don't have any parent goals. There's no way for me to reinforce his behavior that we're trying to modify at home. So when this time around came and I was included in the goals, what you just said, I felt all that. Yeah. (laughs) I felt all that. And I was kind of like, ooh, yeah, I really, really, really want my son's anxiety to go down. Because I know he can't survive. He has to survive without me. But this goal right here, it's a lot. And, you know, I finally, I told her, I was like, it's a lot for me. And she says, okay, well, let's dial back his goal to the one goal and we'll build off of it. And as you were speaking, I was like, you're speaking to me because in the community of special needs, like I said, it always seems as though somebody's piling more on top of you. And to know that you've taken this behavior analysis and Mm -hmm. you're helping parents with special needs, because I'm not going to say we're forgotten, but that's how it feels. It feels like in this particular community, I mean, of course, it's always about the kids, but the caregivers, we need to be taken care of. We have to learn how to take care of ourselves and we get consumed. I'm going to say it's the healing. So You know, there's different levels in the special mm-hmm. needs parenting journey, mm-hmm. the beginning, the middle, and then <laughs> whatever you're currently in, the beginning is shaky, you deal with a lot of guilt and overwhelm that you pile on your plate because you feel guilty because you didn't know that <laughs> you didn't know. And that's why when I told you at the beginning of this session, I told everyone, I read the book and I shut it. I don't have time for that. Can I ask you, what book was it? Oh. <laughs> Actually, I could tell you what book it is. And it was just so weird because I would continuously hear parenting coaches. Oh, this is going to be good because this is one of the reasons why I create this podcast. Okay. So this is my theory and this is about based on myself. So I would go to parenting sessions, informational sessions with doctors, authors. And Cabrina, it sounds so good when I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Uh Uh-huh. And I go home and I try to execute and it doesn't work. And you know what I say, Cabrina? I said, oh, that's because they white and their life is worked an entirely different way from mine. And I can't do that. (laughs) That's the conversation I would have with myself. Mm, Isn't that the truth? That's another layer. Like I've had so many black special needs moms that have gotten most of the clients that I've ever served that were black clients or minorities. They've gotten their diagnoses later. And that's just another thing on top of already having a special needs child, that child being black. I don't know if you are on 
I know you're on Instagram because you found me recently. Do you follow the page Autism in Black? They do yes. a lot of, yeah, they mm-hmm. have a lot of great resources, a lot of great resources. And so like when you said that, I was like, yeah, they talk about that. There's a couple pages I make a note to follow because there has to be resources for you guys because that's like a double whammy, you know? And what happens is we're back to that space of one, you're dealing with the guilt. Like, why mm-hmm. didn't I know? Because you did know. We didn't know what it was. But we knew it was something. And every time we would ask, the person who we're asking has a bias. It doesn't matter if they are Black, if they're white, in their education, they have a bias already. And the Mm -hmm. fact that you're asking, they're deflecting, and you don't know the exact question to ask. We're vague because we don't know. Yeah. And the kids are getting stressed out. The kids are depressed. And then even when they tell you, when they finally bring back the results, I like to call it onboarding because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we use that term onboarding. Mm -hmm. How we're brought in is really funky. It's like, here's your report. And how you receive it is one of two ways. And actually, it's both ways. One, when they start to talk to you, it almost feels like they're blaming you. Two, all the things that's broken. And it took me years to realize that it wasn't that I felt like my child was broken. It felt like I made a mistake. And I messed up and I needed to fix that. But that's not how it comes across to kids because for them, it's about the conception. You know, kids don't understand like if mom and dad get a divorce, it's not about them. So when you're running around, I was running around all over the place. How it came across to my kids was I'm broken. Something's wrong with me. I'm stressing mommy out. That's how it came across. And it actually was a conversation I had with my son. And he kept telling me he was sorry. He's like, I'm sorry, mommy. I'm like, why are you sorry? And he was like, I'm just sorry. You're so tired. Because at the highest point of my journey, literally, I was taking him to see a reading specialist three times a week. On Fridays, because I have have two kids. I have four all together, but they have spaced in age. Yeah. On Fridays from 1230 to four o'clock, we were in back to back OT and speech because mm-hmm. I had two boys and this was my week. Mm-hmm. And literally when I would sit down in the waiting room, I would space out because that's how exhausted I was. But it took my son to start asking me questions for me to really think about how am I coming across to him? And it's just a weird experience. And then as you're trying to gain more knowledge, we're not in those spaces. So Go to certain things, and this is the book, it's called Raising Happiness, 10 Simple Steps for More Joyful Kids and Happy Family. (laughs) Oh, I've never heard of that one. By Christine Carter, and that's how she starts her book. And I was not ready to receive that. I was in a place of guilt, in a place of, I have to fix my mistakes. And in all honesty, if you are really paying attention to your kids, like you said, when you have special needs kids, we have to use our own superpowers that we have that most people mm-hmm. don't choose. Mm-hmm. Not what they say, what they're doing, how they're responding to things. Mm-hmm. And when he started to ask me, he started apologizing all the time. You apologize when you feel like you've done something wrong. And I'm like, well, how am I coming across you know, and I started to learn how to slow down. And I'm going to be real with everybody and you, Sabrina. I'll be on the self care struggle bus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's okay. That's I would good self awareness. I will be on it. I know you were speaking to me. You don't know you were speaking to mm-hmm. me, but you were. I will pick something and I'm like, I'm going to do this one thing. And I'll be like, oh, it's so boring. I can't. <laughs> like, I don't. 
This is the thing that I, I'm sorry to interject, but that's the thing. And it just made the connection. So many special needs moms have so many things. They're so good at juggling so many things. Even if it stresses them out, you guys are so good at executing it all. So it's no wonder why you can't do one thing when it comes to self-care because you want to do more than one thing naturally because that's what you basically program your body to be able to handle. And so one thing feels too subtle feels so passive so like you need something to kind of like you know get it going <laughs> I never make that connection that's the truth and that is the truth and it's just like oh and we wait for the next thing to come come mm-hmm. at us because as soon as it comes at us it's like oh you gotta go yeah but one of the interesting parts of my coaching how I structure it is like I focus on one thing at a time so that like people already come to me like self-care. I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't want to put five different things at you at a time. So I structure one goal, one piece of the plan at a time. And then we check in weekly to see how it's going. And then by the time that goal is considered master, like an atypical behavior plan, then we move on to the next goal. And then it just kind of accumulates from there. That in itself is a process. But a lot of them are like, wow, like I can do this, you know? It's just like teaching me to do it the way that I can handle it as opposed to the way that the media tells you to do it. Right. And this is like when you talk about community, you know, it can be a lonely road as a parent with special needs. And I'm going to say for me, I'm going to say especially in the Black community, because a lot of us, we don't understand it or we don't yeah, want to believe let's talk it. about that. Mm-hmm. Right? So you don't talk about it. Either you don't talk about it. You may tell someone your child has a diagnosis, but it's almost like you play it down. Because when you sit there and try to explain it, they're basically looking at you like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. uh-huh. I had a family and I was so happy when I had this family. They were a black family and they lived in a predominantly black neighborhood that a lot of my family was born in. And one of the things, she's a teacher at actually the school that I graduated from, which is a predominantly black school. The city in town that which I was born in is predominantly white. You know, it's a smaller city. I don't know if you heard of Sarasota, but we <laughs> apparently have the number one beach in the US, whatever. But <laughs> within the community of special needs, I had come across this black family and I was like thank gosh you know like where are they and then we got to talking and she was like whoa like you're a black therapist at that time I was just an RBT and this is like six seven years ago she was like hey and so we built rapport real fast and she was like about time somebody looks like us and she told me that the moment she started to fill off she had twin boys one was higher functioning and one was pretty like classic textbook example of what autism looks. A lot of flapping, a lot of stereotypy, a lot of pacing, a lot of scripting. And she was just like, when I was telling people that I felt like that's what he had, oh no, just pray about it. He'll grow out of it. You know, he's just giving you problems. And she was like, no, like this is what I think he has. And I think she went through so many doctors because no one would believe her. And so that's the thing with autism. Like for so long, people just thought it was like a white classic like diagnosis that white people got. And when it comes to people of color, there's so much bias like you spoke about. And it really bothers me because I've had clients or even not clients because I've worked in the school settings and community and homes. But specifically in the schools, when we come across a teacher that has bias and it is so clear that the micro and macro aggressions are just so apparent. 
I was working with a white client and there was a black child in the class and he was like of Haitian descent, but he knew English and he engaged in a lot of the same type of behaviors I saw with other kids in his class. And they would just call, you know, the, I guess the resource or behavior team Mm -hmm. and, you know, they would just handle him differently. And I just started to really advocate for that child and really just cut people off when they would label him as you know, different or as the problem child or as he needs to be sent to the behavior room. And I just started calling it out, started really speaking on that child and did not have them like be consistent with that messaging. I just really started to interrupt that. And I hate that when I see that in a school and I will continue to do that. But like when you talk about black special needs families, there are so many, even the ones that we've seen over this past six months, I forgot that young man's name who was killed at the hands of police, like so many black families. Families, that really scared them that have special needs children that really scared them and so I just like that's a whole nother level of education <laughs> that's another wall to break down when I'm working working with special needs black moms you know because there's so much <laughs> there's so much there. there's so much and I want to say thank black, you. being a mom having a special needs child that's black as well there's so much there and like we are just looked at as to be strong and to persevere and to not take days off already and right. leave a child on top of that. So it's like, I salute and I love, love talking to and learning from a lot of these special needs moms, obviously even more the black special needs moms, because that's my people. Those are the parents that look at me and like, okay, there's someone that's trained and is competent and can handle my child's behavior and not hopefully it won't be me, but like feel like I can do it or like there won't be biases against my child. And that's the hope that they see when they see me. That is, And that is the hope. I want to say thank you. When I try to find someone, first of all, when I looked, when I tried to find a black therapist, black, any speech therapist, I could never find them. Can I ask you this? When you were trying to find, did you have bad experiences that made you want to start looking? Like, did you have a bad experience with a white therapist? So I had a bad experience with a black speech therapist. She was only sticking to one thing, even though the array of um, services he needed had changed. And I actually had to go out and come back in. And then I felt some kind of way about it. I felt like if my child was white, you would have given him the services. I wouldn't have to pull it out of you. And then I had a black speech therapist. At that time, my sons were giving up. You know, it was the same thing, same goal, same thing. He would invigorate them. He would try to find the things that they liked to do to get them engaged. And he would hold them accountable. And as my sons got older, I was like, I really want to find them a black therapist. Because it's like, I just read, they were saying if a child in elementary school has one black teacher, they have a better chance of graduating from high school. And it's the same thing I feel like with people who are in therapy. If you have one good black therapist, it can actually change the road trajectory for that child, the expectations for the child. Because for all intents and purposes, as a parent, I kind of know, I always tell parents, your child is your vision. And a vision is just that. It's something that you want to see coming to fruition. Mm -hmm. It's like a business owner. When you hire people, I don't need to know exactly what you do, but I need to know how what you're going to do is help me get closer to my vision. That is what you have to be the specialist in. But what happens is parents, especially black parents, get that bias. People are talking down to us. Oh, yeah. People are treating us less than. People placing blame on us. And we become overwhelmed. And then we sit back and we let them take the reins. But it's not the same. And we have to gain our confidence around it. 
when we talk about autism, I have a child. They both have functioning. Both of them are in private school. And I've had the teachers and the whole team tell me, well, we really don't think that he has autism spectrum disorder. It's called spectrum. Did you not hear that part? I'm kind of like, okay. So now my antenna is way up. We'll not be testing him for his approval to be a recipient of special needs services because you already have a bias. You're showing me your bias. Mm-hmm. And they actually tried me. We don't feel like he needs to have a new array of tests because we have all the data we need. No, you don't. I'm going to get the full test because my youngest son, his is more social. So he has those markers. And for anyone out there listening, when they start asking you questions, you want to say no. <laughs> And I remember when they diagnosed my oldest son with pervasive development disorder and my mm-hmm. face was blank. Right. Don't know what you're talking about. And then she said autism. And I said, mm. in my head, I said, no, because my son is not banging his head against the wall because that's what media has taught us, like what autism looks like. I said, that is not my son. And I really had to open up my perception and read. And actually it was another parent's blog that made me accept it. But my younger son, he has more social pieces. So he will do a random screen. He won't bang his head against the wall, but he will go to his bed and he'll bang his head. And he has all those other little characteristics. Like Cabrina, when he speak, that's what throws people off. Because he's speaking and he dictates to me, I have to write. And I'm like, these people are not going to believe that he wrote it. And then they ask him. And even when they ask him, I'm kind of like, why are you trying to act like I'm over here doing his work for him? That's who he is. But it is like a connotation with our black kids on how they're being treated in the classroom. And even when they're tested. And you know, it's that thing you always know is there. But Ashley had invited their old speech therapist on the show. And he was like, cultural competency. And I was like... Exactly. I was just going to say that cultural competency and representation matters. Like if you are not a black therapist, we are not supposed to be your teachers. You need to go and get the teachings and the summits and attend the continuing education. You need to take an undoing racism workshop. You need to do what is absolutely, it's so imperative for anyone listening that if you come across a client and you know that you hold bias towards and maybe it comes out, you know, later, you need to find out someone that you can talk to and get some of those cultural competency workshops under your belt. There's so many out there. It is not hard to find them, but go and do that because that really is going to hinder how even you work and interact with that child because of those biases. You got to address that first and then, you know, learn how to even engage and interact with people that don't look like you because people take offense because of just what you carry and possess. And that needs to be addressed. That most definitely is important. That's crazy that he, because I was like, that's cultural competency. Like, <laughs> it's, not, it's not, like I said, the onboarding process is really funky. And then, even with that being said, you know, someone asked me when I started to step into this world of coaching and writing, and they said, Well, have you been in any groups? And I was like, These groups. First of all, sometimes they can be hostile. Yeah. Sometimes they can be depressing. Do you know? <laughs> and, and I was like, that's just not my mindset. I can't survive in climates like that. So imagine, and everyone out there is listening, because you know if you're listening, yeah. you're black and you want to find community. Mm-hmm. And you go to these groups and you may be a little shaky anyway. You're already feeling kind of like vulnerable. And then you step into these groups and it's like this onslaught. Yeah. Like, what did I just take on? A sea of more stress. And then when you ask questions, people are hostile. And it's just like, whoa, yeah. whoa. 
There's so many parents that have done it, tried it, and want to let you know that they've done it and tried it. And so it comes across very like abrasive. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of hotheads. And so, and then there's some that are just needing someone to talk to and support. What I find in our Facebook group, for those of you listening, even you, self-care is non-negotiable. I do have an array of moms of all colors. And those that are wanting to get into the group, I say, once you get in, it's your group. Like I'm just the facilitator. I created the group, but you take reins with it. I really just kind of let off on the restrictions. Talk about as much as you can yourself and then add some things in here and there about like some of the pain points with being a special needs mom. But like the group is for us to address self-care. And I was just thinking about it today because we go through spells where like there's not a lot of activity in the group. And it's because self-care, again, is such a foreign concept. They know of it, but it's like, okay, so you know, I'm already having trouble with self-care Then you want me to be in this group. And now I'm in it. And like, I don't really know what to talk about when it comes to self-care. But if you ask me about my child, I will be here all day and talk about it. So that is kind of like, and I don't take any offense to it. I pop my head in. It's their group. They can speak about it. There's some moms that have really established a good self-care routine. And then there's others that are on, like you said, the struggle bus. But like that to me is a better group for people versus the ones that are just kind of, like you said, you feel depressed. If you are feeling depressed in a group, you shouldn't be in the group. You know, if it's taken away, then you shouldn't be in it. It's not adding value to you. So like something that I always tell parents is being whatever group you want but like if you want to have a group kind of focus on you which is very rare that anything is really <laughs> to the parent come to my group we have what we call these self-care classes and it's very loose term like I use class but we check in and we have these guest facilitators and there was one girl I met God for social media she's from California and she's also a BCBA and she does nutrition coaching as a BCBA and a lot of moms pain points are like like, oh, I've gained so much weight. I don't know how to eat healthy, but I find it like, I don't laugh, but I'm like, your child is eating the best food ever. But you can't <laughs> seem to figure out when to eat or what to eat. But I had this coach come in and she just laid it out what she does and how she helps parents and other, you know, individuals or couples. And a lot of them really like that. So like, I wanted to do another class this month. I'm trying to find the time in between all the other things that I'm doing. But like, that's what I want. I want my community. And I'll talk a little bit about that next week on Scratchmates Instagram page. Page, but I want my community for 2021. I wanted to continue to grow and eventually have, you know, events where we have things for special needs moms and like a little weekend or day retreat where it's like something that, you know, you'll get something to fill your cup with, whether that's on nutrition or, you know, specific things on self-care. A lot of them want to have a community. So like even being around other moms, like will fill their cup you know, in a way. So I definitely see great things in store for 2021, but I can relate to all those points. I'm not a parent yet, but I definitely have felt like all these clients of mine have become my babies. And it definitely is another level of pain points for black special needs moms. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you <laughs> so much. This has been so cool. But it's the cipher. Yes. I always got to give the nine to the original hip hop cypher. So I always ask everybody what's their favorite song. Yes. And Bye Back the Block by Rick Frost. Yes. And um, before we started, guys, I was like, Cabrina, 
I thought it was another song. But I'm going to tell you guys, like, it's going to be on my season two um, Spotify playlist. But the first Ooh. lines leading in, I was like, oh, Cabrina, I got you. So why mm-hmm. do you like that song? Because you said it was powerful. It is powerful. I love Rick Ross' voice. He's from Miami. And I just love, I'm from Florida. I live in Sarasota. And I just, I love what he, when he has very powerful songs like I usually like I'll listen to it over and over so he just draws me in first and foremost is his voice secondly it's about like creating generational wealth within the black community and I'm always about my community I know that I serve everybody but I'm kind of a random no I'm also a blogger slash content creator and like part of my legacy is like extending my platforms to last long after I'm gone so like that generational wealth was what? <laughs> That's a big deal. I, I do literally want to buy, me and my husband, we want to buy back the block. Okay. We have seen gentrification in our community right here in what we call in a neighborhood town called Newtown. And that to me, two years from now, how much more will we take? You know? So like if there is a property, a piece of land, lot, a house, do not give that up. And so one of the things and both our families have done this is they've given up some of their property, you know? And so now there's colleges kind of inching their way closer into the neighborhoods that are like for us, by us. And so like, I want, like that song talks about buying things for my community in my community so they don't have to leave their community to get it. (laughs) That's really important to me. And then adding to that, like, finding new property in, in pieces of land that to create things on. Because a lot of communities you'll find in a lot of Latino communities and Asian communities, they work together and then they create this kind of little town and city, you know? And I really envision that for us. It just takes a lot of effort and trust. But within my family, I know we're working towards it. And so that's why I love that song. Especially when I pass by an area, I'm like, gentrification. <laughs> Like, let me turn this song on. <laughs> well, I know you're going to make it happen. And like that generational wealth. Yes. That's an entire conversation that I know we don't have time for, but I'm just going to plug that generational wealth. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to say thank you so much for blessing the cipher with your presence mm-hmm. and adding to our wealth of knowledge for us to know better and do better. Thank you. And thank you for this platform. I can't, whew, I don't know how you do it with four kids and being a special needs mom, how you even have the energy, but like you can start like thinking to yourself, like this is something I want to keep up. You enjoy it. I can see it. Yes. It's definitely some, some social self-care, you know, filling your cup with, but like definitely keep doing this because we need, we need more. We need more moms. We need this representation. And I love networking with you. And I just, Thank you for reaching out. <laughs> oh, I forgot to say, most people can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Scratch Made Consulting. We do have a Pinterest page, a YouTube page, um, Scratch Made Consulting. And send me an email or shoot me a DM and let me know how you found me because I appreciate anybody that has been <laughs> on my page on this crazy algorithm of Instagram and social media. And we're going to keep connecting even after this. Jimmy, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for listening. If this content is delivering value to you, please subscribe and go to wherever you listen to your podcast and give us a five-star review. That helps us build this community. And that's what we're all about, building this community. 
as big as we can to deliver as much value as we can. The Parenting Cipher Podcast is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and the executive producer, myself, Jeannie Dawkins. Until next time, remember to be patient with yourself and your child.